0: Again, head on over to FreedadCourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design.
1: My creed, consistency beats perfection. That's when I work with couples, when I work with individuals, that's really what I'm trying to help with is to build those habits and to make it okay for them to have mistakes and to learn from them and to grow from them.
0: Dory 1, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, a husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. This is episode 94 we are slowly inching closer and closer to that episode 100. Still not 100% sure on who's going to be, but I can say through a listener, give me some courage out there. I did work out an email Jocko. I have heard a reply back, but we do not have a date on the calendar. So I'm not going to guarantee that we're going to get him for episode 100, but I did starve some fear and reach out. So a big day in a podcaster's world when you go up there and go for people that you normally think like, yeah, I don't have a chance, but you do it anyhow, and I appreciate you out there for that courage that you gave me to do that. This episode that we have today is long overdue because in the military, money is something that we're just not born with, and we're actually, the system makes it worse because we don't have a lot of personal accountability to work with our money and make sure it works for us instead of just... Being traded AFEs or the exchange or wherever you are in the military or post-military service part of your story. And today I bring a good friend of mine, Dan Hines, who runs Adulting with Money, which is a YouTube channel and a blog. And he isn't a veteran, but he's been in this space with money, working on it, talking to adults and understanding and coaching adults on how to have better conversations because. Money is a huge reason why people get divorced because it's that tension and it's just that constant tension back and forth that you can't talk about it. And it might as well be the birds and the bees talk with your kids in some cases. So I wanted to dive in right into talking about money with this episode. And I also have Lacey Lankford scheduled for next week's episode. And she is the military money expert. So we're going to start with Dan Hines today, open it wide up, and next week we're bringing Lacey Langford, who's military money expert, to talk about some of the military things with money and how we get these stories all messed up and how we can actually change some of our narrative. So we got a double header here this week with Dan Hines, Lacey Langford next week, and we're going to talk about money because money as a father is something that weighs me down It's something that I lose sleep over. It's something that we're always there. And I always like how Zig Ziglar said it. He always said, money isn't everything, but it's right up there next to oxygen. And that's the truth because it's not everything. It doesn't buy happiness, but it definitely greases the wheels and makes everything run smoother. And when you don't have any of it, everything feels a lot heavier. But at the same time, the illusion of money is, even people who have an abundant amount of it still have a lot of problems. Everybody just creates their own nightmare scenario at whatever level of life they're at. So we're going to start unpacking money. We've got these two episodes, and I promise these won't be the only two episodes I plan to look for and bring more people out there about money to the podcast because Lots of times, and for most of this entire podcast is history, we've talked about the emotions of being a father, coming home as a father, the marriage of a father, but money is something that is just not talked about enough, and I haven't done enough about it, so I'm going to make sure that I change that, and something else to look forward to is we're going to be bringing Kirby Ingalls back in the podcast, he was way back in the beginning of the podcast, and actually helped us understand that family is a legacy and that we're leaving one whether we want to or not. And he is going to be bringing some career coaching wisdom to us as well. So I'm going to twist the dial a little bit and bring some different things, but these are all rounded things that dads face every single day. We're going to be bringing them back to you to help you come home and be a better dad. So without further ado, let's get started with Dan Hines. And if you want to hear my key takeaways from this podcast, stay tuned on the end and I'll talk to you on the other side. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Thanks, Ben. Thank uh, thank you for having me. <laughs> you are not a veteran, but we are going to break the seal wide open on something that I intend to do a couple different episodes on, and that is money. Money is something rooted within the military. We almost all have bad habits related to money, mostly because it's disposable income. And in the military, you can lose all your money, spend all your money, not have a car payment and just blow it all on alcohol and still have a roof over your head three squares a day and a job to go to. And ultimately that's where things start falling apart because there's no real accountability for your money. And today we're talking with Dan Hines who runs adulting with money and with adulting with money is a YouTube channel where he gives great advice to adults, helping them understand how to be better with money. So welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you, Ben. Thanks. uh, Thanks for having me. Let's maybe just crack it wide open with some money myths. What are some things about money that most people assume are true, but are true just fallacies that most people don't ever think about?
1: Oh, God, that, that's a good one. So I think probably one of the first things is that money is somehow an easy topic. It's not, it is complicated. You'd think it'd be easy because we use it every day. We go and we work and we make money and we spend money. And you know, you'd think it'd be easy, but it it turns out that, you know. Dealing with money on a regular monthly basis, deciding, you know, where you want to spend your money, how you want to save your money, how you want to invest your money gets surprisingly complicated. Um, and it, But the thing is, is that it also takes practice. Like just because it's money doesn't mean you're going to be good at it right away. It, You know, it, I'm amazed at how people get frustrated when it comes to things like budgeting or, or money apps. And it's like they want it to be easy but it's just not, but it takes practice. It takes that, that consistency of learning how to do it. Just like, you know, it's hard to remember when we learned how to brush our teeth, but at some point in time, that motion was hard. Like it took effort to figure out like exactly how to do it. Uh, same with riding a bike. Um, and so, you know, my creed of, uh, Consistency beats perfection. That's when I work with couples, when I work with individuals, that's really what I'm trying to help with is to build those habits and to make it okay for them to, to, to have mistakes and to learn from them and to grow from them.
0: So especially within the couple category, this is something where typically one person in the couple manages the money. In my, in my marriage, it's me that manages my money. And in other marriages, it's the spouse managing the money. So even just from that point of view of picking someone, is that the right idea or is it always best to use it as a team? Yeah,
1: it's it's, it's best to use it as a team. And I use my own relationship as a great example. So I'm a money nerd. My wife is not. (laughs) Um, We're both good with money. But when it comes to clicking the buttons and using the apps and using the spreadsheets and being a nerd about it, I'm definitely uh, head over heels for this type of stuff. But what I've realized is that it's okay if the work is 9010, if I'm clicking most of the buttons, if not all of the buttons, to make sure everything's on track, that's okay. But my wife and I sit down and we make decisions. We budget every month and we talk about our goals and what we want. So our decisions are 50-50. And it's amazing how many money fights will go away when uh, at least the discussions are 50-50. If you have or if you're having regular discussions, then you can decide who goes and clicks the buttons and does all the work. And that can be um, that can be a great uh solution for a lot of couples.
0: So no one wakes up knowing how to work with money, and most people have their they have to hit rock bottom, as Dave Ramsey says. What was your rock bottom moment where you're like, "There's just got to be a better way"?
1: Yeah, it fortunately it kind of came early. Um, it was really it wasn't necessarily like money, money. It was more of me and my wife and our relationship. Um, it was that we had just gotten married. I was sitting on the couch in our apartment. Of course, it's an apartment, so I can see the front door from the couch. And she walks in with these giant bags from Target, and I'm pretty sure she had bought in pillows, so that so the bags were extra big when she walked in. So the it door. inflated the. the
0: yes, emotion.
1: exactly. Literally, and so um, and the first thought I had was, what the f did she buy this time? But we had just gotten married and I realized very quickly that if we're going to make it 60 years in our marriage, I need to never think that again. And so that was really where, you know, it wasn't necessarily a rock bottom, but it was an epiphany to say, you know, we're not together on this. We don't have joint accounts. Uh, We're not talking about money. We don't have our our goals set. Um, You know, her job at that time, she wasn't on salary. It was a stable job, but the paycheck you know, varied from week to week. Uh, And then I I was a financial advisor and so I was on commission. And so my paycheck wasn't the exact same every month. And we really didn't have any way to know if we were going deeper into debt or not. Were we climbing out or not? Um, And if, you know, we wanted to save up for the down payment on a house, you know, how was that going? There was just so much uncertainty it really drove me crazy. <laughs> and so, you know, for us it w- for me it was just that moment of wow, if if we're never going to fight about money, there are some thoughts and some mindsets I need to get rid of and I need to work on for myself.
0: So what were some of those big mindsets that you had to change? Was there like some initial agreement, some initial like thing that was like a first win for you guys? Yeah, so
1: I think the first thing was that I was really on board with budgeting. Uh, My wife it took her a little bit of time to be like, "Okay, I guess this is going to work out. I think this is something we should do." But the big mindset on that particular topic was that I was being way too detailed, way too intricate with (laughs) with our budget. It was, you know, we were trying. I basically was trying to figure out how much are we going to spend on makeup and toiletries and cleaning supplies and just. I just made it way too complicated. So I think the very first mindset shift for us and for me particularly was that it's okay to be simple. If you have enough information to make a decision, you're good. You don't have to be a professional accountant to be good at handling day-to-day money. So when it comes to budgeting specifically, like it's okay to simplify. Uh, it's okay to make it, you know, if your budget is only four items long and that's enough information for you and your spouse to
0: make a decision, go for it. <laughs> now let's dive into that word budgeting. You've mentioned it a little bit. and But budgeting to a lot of people that haven't really awoken or even
1: <sighs>
0: realized that there's a better way to deal with money think budgeting is handcuffs. So yeah. how do you change people's mindsets when someone believes a budget is a handcuff and they don't like the idea of budgeting because they don't feel like they want to have to live under rules. But that's not really the idea of budgeting, is it?
1: No, no, it's not. And so, you know, when I'm working with couples, for them to master money together, there's three habits that all couples, if you master them, you're good for the rest of your life. And the first habit really comes down to goals. Like, what is it that you want? And how much does that cost? Because it's amazing how many money fights will end when you actually start to get down to like, how much does this actually cost? Because otherwise, those fights are just rhetorical, theoretical, what ifs, um, that, and, and you never get anywhere. So that's habit one. Habit two is tracking your money. Like, where's it, where's everything coming from and where's everything going? But then the third habit, that's where you start to get to the decision making and to the budgeting. And if you do it in that order, what that does is you you sit there as a couple or as an individual and you say, what is it that we want? You start with that. And then you say, you know, where's our money now? And then that by the time you get to that third step, you, go, you say to yourself, okay, how are we going to get there? And that's where the budget comes in. That's where budgeting is a tool to help you get what you want, as opposed to stop you from having fun. Um, it's It's there to say, okay, if we want to say yes to these goals, what are we saying no to? And so that's the, the true mindset shift is to say, you know, it's our plan. We can change it whenever we want. We don't have to wait for the end of the month to change our budget or to change to our plan. Flexibility is key in that nature. Um, so, you know, whenever individuals or couples come to me, I try to make budgeting the last conversation <laughs> so that way they see
0: it as a path forward as opposed to, yeah, like you said, handcuffs. mm. Mm-hmm. And that, that budgeting word is in many cases is more like a plan, like you said. And it's also I always like the idea that it's a roll with the punches, like life's going to give you a punch. Murphy's law is going to happen. But you want that budget to have some cushion under it and be able to absorb something that comes at to you unexpected. So talk about how a budget can also deal with Murphy's law as well. Yeah, so I think the biggest thing as far as like a
1: month to month budget, a month to month plan, um you can do things like sinking funds. So my wife and I, you know, we have an emergency fund, which is great, especially, you know, we live in Florida, hurricanes, yada yada. Um but it's also to say that, well, why not put, you know, 30 bucks aside every month to save up for Christmas presents. If we do that all year round, then once November Black Friday comes around, we got money saved up for that. Or uh, maybe it's like fifty bucks a month you're trying to set aside for car repair because eventually you're going to need new tires or something's going to break. Uh, so then you have that sitting aside. Um, so that's where you know that's probably one really easy tool as far as like a month-to-month budget type of thing that has that cushion. Uh, but then the last thing really is, uh, you know, if, if, if money's too tight and you can't do those sinking funds, it's always great to have a miscellaneous, like everything else category in your budget where it's just like, all right, we're not, things are going to happen. Let's throw 30 bucks in this category. And when we need to go buy batteries, we'll take it out of that category.
0: Mm -hmm. What about the emergency fund? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So an emergency fund, that is where, you know, insurance can cover a lot of the big stuff. Death, hurricanes, uh, you know, cancer, things of that nature, which are terrible to think about, but we have insurance to help with those things. Unfortunately, insurance doesn't cover uh, the tiny stuff. You know, getting new tires doesn't come out of Geico's pocket. <laughs> so Transmission. Um, the transmission. Yeah. Yeah. That's much larger, larger item. And so having an emergency fund, the reason it's there is to take care of those emergencies with cash rather than putting it on a 20% credit card or, or some sort of debt. So to to make your ends meet, you're taking it, you're self-insuring yourself just a tiny bit for, for some of that stuff. So that helps out a lot too. I've always
0: liked the uh, the adage that it's easier to loan money from the bank of Coloy at zero percent than it is to borrow it from Capital <laughs> One at twenty yes, absolutely, yep, yep, and that's the whole
1: idea and so it's um you know with that emergency fund, you know once my wife and I once we had ours completely funded at a level that we wanted, then that's where we can start to add those sinking funds that like, okay, well, you know because we don't have to put money towards that or some other goals, we have that little bit of wiggle room month to month where we can save for things that are gonna happen, home improvement, car repair,
0: stuff like that. And something that I really loved when I started doing my budget with software is each of the budget categories became like a mini savings account that I didn't have to go to the bank and actually open one. And it really desensitized my visual appearance. Like, oh, I can log into my account and check my checking account. Oh, I got the money there. I can spend it. But if you know that your budget has all these breakdowns of different money, that if your emergency funds actually sits in your checking account or your Christmas fund actually sits in your checking account, you know that you have to desensitize that that all that money has different labels for it. And you start leaning towards using your budget. Do I actually have money in my clothing? Well, no, even though it says I have $5,000 in my checking, it's because you've actually created many savings accounts that you've put it in elsewhere. And to me, that was a big change because having it in a savings account was just too much extra work, even though it sounds pretty simple and it's right there, but it's also too easy to bring back. And I always liked having it in the budget because it had a label, it had a job, and i couldn't relabel it in 10 seconds of what that money was supposed to be like in the savings account you most likely don't have it giving a job you don't know what it's for it's just your savings and well that sounds like a good thing i want this i apple iWatch that's coming out and next <laughs> thing you know you got one just yeah. borrowed it from your savings because you didn't know that oh man i forgot that i had saved up for christmas and then you borrowed that from that so we've talked about a budget but most people especially military families and military service members if they're single we have dug ourselves through the hole and we are actually below (laughs) ground either through we're most like many military families are part of being predatory against debitors so they're always being targeted and many of us have made bad choices so what do you say out there to someone digging their way out using a budget or even just in general because i remember when i was underwater you feel like Debt is something that is just going to be living in your basement and never moving out, like it's like a kid that never grows up. And it's like having Sally Mae have a bedroom permanently in your house. So, <laughs> what do you actually say to someone that's trying to dig their way out? Because it can be really hard to even think that there is a world where you don't have any debt if you really are underwater.
1: Yeah, I think the two major things are number one is to celebrate the small wins. Uh, and then number two, always keep that that ultimate goal in mind. to To refresh your goals every month, and to say how much closer did I get to what I to to what I really want. And so I, I mean, a perfect example outside of money is that you know I personally would love to be two hundred pounds and ten percent body fat. Like I'm not even close to that. Um, i I've, I've still got a lot of muscle to build, but I had to lose probably about twenty pounds of fat this year. And, you know, I did it by going on a diet for a couple of weeks and then eating normal for a couple of weeks and then going on a diet again for a couple of weeks. And that middle phase, that maintenance phase where I was just trying to uh, build my metabolism back up but not gain weight, you know, it was hard to think, gosh, I could have just kept on the diet and kept losing weight but that was part of the plan. Part of the plan was to get my metabolism back up. And the same goes for getting out of debt, is to say that, you know, as long as you're getting another step on the plan, you've done a good job. Celebrate that, you know, don't wait until the very, very end to think like, oh man, everything's gonna be awesome and my world's gonna change once I get there. The problem is if you've ever graduated high school or gotten out of basic training, or you've done things where you hit that threshold, it doesn't really feel all that great. It's good. It's you're happy for a little bit, but it's not long-term satisfaction. But if you're enjoying the journey along the way and celebrating those small wins, not only does it keep your motivation up, but it's also like a happier life. <laughs> it's 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 fun to celebrate like, yes, I just paid off another credit card. Let's go celebrate just with, you know, a small drink or a small meal or a little something to say Pat yourself on the back. It's it's okay to do that. Um, so
0: yeah, those are probably one of the biggest things that you can do to, to keep that motivation going. Probably something I've always heard it said, don't think of different things as a finish line, but as milestones. So it's probably good when you're laying out your plan, what are some milestones that we could use to check in On the way to where we want to go. If you're driving from, from to LA, from New York, there's several milestones you can check in with and like how far you're there, but there's lots of cool places you can stop and enjoy. And like, man, this is the best road trip ever, even though you're not even in LA yet. And then when you get to LA, it's all been bonus because you've been enjoying the ride the entire time. Yeah. Well, I mean,
1: I think it really depends on the type of goal you're going after. Because if you're a couple saving up for a wedding, it's kind of like, oh, we have enough now that we can pay for the venue and we can pay for the DJ and and pay for for certain items. Uh, but if it's getting out of debt, you know, I know a lot of people they'll they'll get like some sort of piece of paper or a graph or something that they can color, essentially. And it's just like you know, like a thermometer you see of, of like United Way, like how the fundraising is going, is to color in every week. Like here's how much closer I am to getting out of debt. Do that every week. Do that every month. Um, that's a really good thing that that is tactile and it says and it and it's visual so you can see it every day to say yes i am getting getting closer but Another thing is, especially if you're getting out of debt, um, the more you pay off, the higher your credit score goes. So if you can get like credit karma or you have a credit card that, you know, gives you credit reports, then you can start to celebrate like, wow, look how much farther my credit score went up as I'm paying off debt. That could be another way, another, you know, (laughs) I don't want people to get obsessed about their credit score as, as being like a high score, but it's something
0: that you can see change as things happen. What about where do you begin? Because I know when I started my debt journey, you've got May, you've got credit card, you've got car payments, you've got so many different philosophies on good debt and bad debt. How do we even sort through all that? Like Just picking some place to start throwing money at can be almost overwhelming in and of itself.
1: Yeah, that's a tough one, and I know um, when it comes to paying off debt specifically. I mean, there's really two schools of thought. You have what's called the debt snowball, and you've got the debt avalanche. Um, so, for those that don't know what that is, let's imagine you have three credit cards, um, and they all have a minimum payment of fifty bucks a month. So, what happens is that because you're paying all three, that's hundred and fifty bucks a month to to pay the minimum. But if you can pay one of those credit cards off faster, that's 50 bucks a month that has freed up. You can do something with it. But instead of spending it on clothes or food or something else, is you take that $50 that's been freed up and start paying the second credit card. So now the second credit card is getting paid off at $100 a month. uh, And then the third one is still 50. But when that second one's paid off, that's $100 that's been freed up. You can pay the third credit card off at $150 a month. So the, the way to pay off the debt snowballs. It gets bigger and bigger every month. So the the difference between the two methods is which ones do you pick first? So the debt snowball is you pick the smallest debt first. And I like that method mainly because it's a quick win. Emotionally, it feels good because you make progress faster. Because it's, you know, if you go to the gym and you're trying to work out or lift weights and you don't see any results within the first week or two, uh, if you don't feel any better, you're probably going to stop going. And so there's unfortunately, an emotional side of all of us humans that needs that that win. So I do like the debt snowball. But mathematically, the debt avalanche is a better... Uh, option. And that's where you pay off the highest interest rate debt first. Now, it might take more time to pay that off. It might not be as quick a win. But if you're more logical, if you're more, uh, you know, mathematic based, it's going to push that button for you. You're going to enjoy doing it because you know, mathematically, you're right.
0: You're winning <laughs> in you're, the bank's aren't you're
1: Yes, you're, you're winning in the bank world. But uh, there's an online calculator and we can put a, a link in the show notes. That, uh, that you can look at both, put in all your information and see, okay, which one's better, the debt snowball or the debt avalanche. And I've run that for clients that I coach. And oftentimes, it's pretty much a tie. Like, it's within a month or two of each other. So, you know, when I'm coaching clients, I'm really looking to see which one sets them up for success better. Um, so, it, you know, in my mind, the the methods are pretty equal, but if I had to pick, it would be the debt snowball because emotionally having a quick win and having faster wins, it just it keeps us more motivated. And, that, and that's how our brains work.
0: <laughs> and I've always liked how Dave Ramsey breaks it down because I've had a few people challenge me if I recommend the debt snowball on Facebook in a f- comment somewhere and they'd be like, oh, you're teaching them all the wrong ideas. It was in this particular case, it was about what you should teach a kid about whether she get a debit card. And I was like, I would teach him Dave Ramsey first before I even teach him a credit card. And then they challenged this idea of what you talked about with the interest time and all that stuff. And I, I always loved how Dave broke it down. He always said, if it was about math, you would never would have gotten in here in the first place. <laughs> so you yeah. can't use the same logic that got you to get you out because otherwise, if it was just as simple as math, you would have done it a long time ago and you realize these numbers don't compute. And it's all about emotions. And that's It feeds a different part of the process for you and just gets you more excited to keep going. Like it's just, it's good when I used to, I had a spreadsheet and I just would type in every time I killed that. And it just felt good to say that I killed it. And the faster I can kill it, the more I felt like I was winning.
1: Yes. Yes, exactly. And so it's, it's up to every person, every couple, every family to, to figure out like, okay, how are we going to celebrate that win? Like you had your spreadsheet and you put into, you know, I killed it. And so then that, that helped you out. So, you know, and, and as a coach, you know, when I'm talking with couples, it's the thing is, is like, I'm not, I'm, I'm partial to some methods and I'm partial to some software, but in the end, it's whatever, pushes their buttons the best. That's the solution I wanna go for. So, you know, we've been talking about apps and software, but if there's a couple that really wants to do just cash envelopes, like awesome, let's go for it. Let You know, if that's what helps you the best, let's start with that Uh, because in the end, it goes back to those habits. If you master those habits, it doesn't matter what goal comes out or what software is updated or what method you want to try next. Those three habits are basic where- It's programmed into
0: the best operating system, your head. Yeah,
1: exactly. So it's just, you know, it's so as a coach, like
0: I don't really care what you use as long as we're setting you up for success. (laughs) So for people out there that are hearing this conversation for the first time, because there is so much like financial awareness that still hasn't happened out there. Where should people go to look for some of the most popular apps out there to help them understand how to work with money?
1: Yeah, you know, my favorite website that I keep going back to is NerdWallet. They do a great job of, uh, you know, comparing credit cards and having a lot of articles when it comes to specific apps. Uh, But then again, you know, I'm working my way in my YouTube channel to reviewing a lot of apps as well. Uh, especially for couples. So if you go to YouTube slash adulting with money, you know, I've got a review of the Mint app and then there's one that's come out within the last year or two called Zeta, which was is really good. I haven't gotten to YNAB and a couple others yet, but as I talk more to couples and figure out, okay, what software is going to work best for them? You know, I'm looking at it not just as a piece of financial software, but like how can we use this as a communication tool to get on the same page? And if this app is too hard for two people to use, I kind of, I don't worry about it because I'm trying to help couples for the most part. (laughs) Yeah, it's got to benefit
0: the actual communication within the couple. Yeah, exactly. And And for us, we've used YNAB. So early on, I tested like every dollar with Dave Ramsey and I I, I was on YNAB back when it synced through Dropbox. So I've been on YNAB for a long time before they even had cloud ability. And like, I literally (laughs) had to have a Dropbox account and it synced in my Dropbox to... My app. So that was a long time ago. And for me, like I remember the very basic core that I liked about YNAB was it brought back the checkbook feeling that you had to yeah. reconcile every yeah. transaction and make sure it went to where it was supposed to go. And that was a feeling that worked really well. I think when you had a checkbook and it died in the 90s when they invented the debit card to make money easier to spend. But I think just that reconciliation process every time I do it, just making sure everything's got to where it needs to go and just reviewing the action plan modifying it if something went over every time like that process in itself of reconciling the account as you import the transactions i've always liked that the most about winab and the other ones generally didn't have that reconciliation and i think that checkbook feeling is something that it worked for almost 5 decades i don't know when the checks were invented but probably <laughs> around the 50s when yeah. people had more money to spend and it's something that we just got rid of when I mean, we started spending with plastic, and I, I like YNAB just for that one ability to bring that back. And it's something me and my wife use as well. You can install it fairly easy. It's one username. You go down, you find the green categories. If you got green, it's money. It's not if it's empty, you don't have money.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, I I reviewed that Zeta app. Um, And I ended up really liking it because it's, it's, it makes everything you can do is like individual and joint. So you can have individual goals and joint goals, individual budgets and joint budgets, individual accounts and joint accounts. Um, And so, you know, my suggestion is that if you're a brand new couple, like engaged and you haven't quite tied the knot and you're, you're still kind of on the edge about how do you want to handle money together? You know, that's a great starter app because it has, Enough features that you can get started talking about money. But for money nerds like you and me, Ben, it's going to disappoint us because it doesn't have as much control, as much detail. But it sounds like you can
0: start flirting with each other money wise and start combining different things together.
1: Exactly. So it's, you know, and so that's where, you know, when I look at these tools and the software, there's a spectrum. Like there's some people that don't want all those features because they feel completely overwhelmed. So if, if, if a couple came to me and they're just like, we want something simple, I'm like, okay, start with Zeta, we'll do that. And then eventually, you know, as they were like, well, you know, we want to have that rollover feature. We want to have those uh, syncing funds. You can't really do that in Zeta. You've got to get to Mint, which is still a free software and it can do that. But even I, even though my wife and I use Mint, there's still features about it that bug me. And we're, I'm like this close to moving us to YNAB because we're thinking about doing quarterly budgeting and we're thinking about getting into real estate investing. So our lives are getting a little bit more complicated that we're going to need better software for it. But it's taken us, you know, eight or nine years to to grow out of the software that we're using now. So, it, so it's a fine, it's a, it's one of those things, but if you're willing to spend the money and you're willing to go all in, I do think YNAB is the best.
0: <laughs> I spent uh, a lot of time on Mint first too as well. I'm not sure exactly, probably just advertising gets you sucked into it because there's they bring more financial, everything yeah, around it, just trying to advertise much. credit cards and different investments. And but the one thing is like, that really led me away from it was, and now looking back from YNAB, The automation of just sucking the money into the categories without you ever going through and reconciling it, it just—it might as well just be similar to plastic because with plastic, you don't see your money flying away. And if you never see the transaction go into there, you just aren't emotionally connected to it leaving your bank account. So Mm -hmm. in YNAB, you have to make sure everything and you go through and when you import your transactions, you're making sure they all matched up in the right direction. And that in itself, that little extra step to me was like, gives you that extra. And it probably comes from the nerd part where you want to make sure the dollars get where they need to go. But it was that automation that really turned me off from it. And I just felt like financially they were more focused on making sure I had more credit cards and getting out of debt. So like that always kind of rubbed me the wrong way that, they're incentivizing us to manage our money but then they want us to learn how to spend it with all the banners that they bring in around us
1: yeah and and zeta is kind of in the same realm where where it's a free app but of course they've got you know like oh check out this savings account check out this credit card but uh to their credit they do have like every time you log in there's a task list so if you have any uncategorized transactions it's, it shows up for you right away. So it, it, it's borrowing kind of that
0: feature from YNAB as well. Mm-hmm. I always love the, the interesting part about YNAB. They probably are a brand that does it beautifully, but they have a huge personality built into the app. Like the way they communicate, the way they email, like they joke like it's going out of style. They have no problem making jokes about themselves. <laughs> you name it, they have a very good sense of humor as a company within the way they communicate. And they're always coming up with new stuff, especially now that everything is built into the web versus like the old way of Dropbox, that was a slow update every year. But Mm -hmm. now that it's all on the web, like they are very much, um, even something that most people probably wouldn't think about is when you deal with credit cards, like Spending on credit cards and debit and checking account can get confusing when it comes to budget because you put the money on a credit card, but really the money's already spent, but it's not out of your (laughs) checking account. Yeah. In YNAB, it'll actually take it out of your budget category. Say if you use your credit card at Kohl's and bought clothing, it would take it out of your clothing budget and move it into your credit card payment and that money would just be sitting there waiting to get paid at the end of the month. So you don't accidentally spend it twice in Mm -hmm. the background. It just keeps track of it like normal and and you do your normal stuff, but your credit card money is waiting to get paid and it's not sitting in your budget, forgetting that you've already spent it on one credit card. So that was a -hmm. huge thing that also we don't use credit card a lot, but when we did, it was something that I remember using quite a bit. And I want to go back to something that I just remembered you were talking about like consistency and small wins there was a year in our process for us, it took about four years to get out of debt. But there was a year we were paying almost twenty two hundred dollars in daycare bills. We had three kids in daycare, and that's more it was two mortgages. We had a mortgage yeah. plus we had two additional mortgages with it. Our mortgage <laughs> was like eleven $1, hundred bucks at the time. So we're paying two times that amount in daycare bill. And we almost had a year, I call it the year of debit only but I would only been able to do debit only because I had a budget. I had a plan. I mean, I was writing a $500 check on my checking account every single week. That takes a lot of discipline to make sure you don't bounce a check. Don't overspend or over withdraw. And that was my win for the year. I didn't go Mm -hmm. into debt at all, but I kept it neutral. And so like there was a lot of grace I had to give myself because while I may not be getting bigger on the goal, this is just the season we're in right now. And as long as I can keep it neutral, that that was my win that I consider back looking back on that now.
1: Yeah, yeah, and sometimes those wins are just you, those realizations—the fact that, like, wow, I've changed, I've grown. <laughs> In just a little bit. And and so, yeah. So, you know, going back to that whole debt thing, um, as far as like keeping uh, yourself motivated and celebrating those small wins, sometimes those wins are mental shifts. Like you just see the world differently. You know, you have a friend that is bragging about, oh, check out these new clothes and you, you know, and you have that thought like, gosh, I wonder how much they put on their credit card for that. And like thinking that question is now a win. Like the fact that you're thinking that uh, and you're seeing the world in a different way. You know, um, there's a meme out there on Facebook where it's just like, hey, does anyone watch Home Alone and think, gosh, what's the mortgage on that house? (laughs) You know, we've all grown up. We've learned new things um, and we see the world in a different way. And sometimes those seeing the world in a different way, that can be a win too. I see it in myself just
0: with my health and how I eat uh, as well as money. I said, I, for the home alone joke, I never thought about the house. I was always thinking, God, how much does it cost to fly the entire family to France? Ah,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: I'm a plane yeah. nerd. So I was biased towards, and I've been to Europe. So I know how much it costs. Cause I've looked at plane tickets and I'm like, God, how did they ever even I mean, Christmas time? Even at that, like it's, it's just yeah. crazy for that mindset. Now, now you have that ungrateful uncle that you like hate even more as a character. Like, wow, he really is ungrateful. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go into what you talked about there of being able to see the world differently because often what Americans struggle with is we just don't have enough depth to our views. We just get sucked into the commercialism that are on the commercials, the Capital One, all commercials, and you just assume what's in front of you is how it's supposed to be that there is a weekly target run you do every week. There is a Walmart run you do every week. There is a grocery run. And you've got to continue to be a consumer and spend money at all the things you're told they need to be spent money. But once you slow down and realize like you're a conscious being, you don't have to realize that there's other ways. I mean, There are plenty of millionaires that Dave Ramsey highlights on his show all the time that are plumbers. And they've made the exact same amount of money all their life. And now they're millionaires. That's not something that advertises on Capital One commercials at all
1: yeah yeah. and I mean, if, if and if anyone out there listening wants to really change their mind, uh, it read the book, um the Millionaire Next door. Um, you know, it's like twenty years old by now, so it's a little outdated. But essentially, these uh, researchers found a bunch of millionaires throughout the United States that had a, a net worth of a million dollars and just had them fill out these giant surveys to learn, like, how did these people live? How did they make their money? How much do they make every month? You know, or or every year? Like, you know, are they married? Do they have kids? And it's just, you know, it was a uh, an academic study. And one of my favorite stories from that book is they ended up finding some decamillionaires, ten million dollars or more, and invited them all to a dinner. And at this dinner, they're like, "Well, they're they're worth ten million dollars. Let's get some caviar, some really nice wine, and all this other stuff." Guy walks in that they call Mr. Bud, uh, and because he and he's wearing a J.C. you know, hundred dollar suit, uh, and walks in. And they're like, "Well, Mr. Bud, we have you know all of this nice wine and caviar." And he's like, "I drink scotch and two types of beer, Budweiser and free." <laughs> and you know, and we all have those people in our lives that it's just like they have a lot of money, but they don't spend it. But that's kind of the point: is they have a lot of money. Because they didn't spend it, and so being rich, being wealthy, to to change that definition for yourself, you know, being rich doesn't mean spending it. Because if you spend it all, it's gone. You're not you're not you're not rich anymore. <laughs> and so to to have that idea of the the difference between wealth and spending.
0: What about you for your why for becoming financial savvy? Like when you you and your wife set your goals, what does your why look like to become debt free and be financially savvy and have wealth?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, You know, on kind of a more personal note, that's kind of something I've been figuring it out. Uh, I have a uh, Tony Robbins results coach. Her name is Otilia. She's amazing. Um, And one thing that I've developed with her uh, and, and with her help is to have that why, is to have that true purpose. And for, you know, for me now, it's to live a life I don't need a vacation from. And so for me, it's like it's okay to work, it's okay to do things. But if I love it so much that it feels like a vacation or it feels so fun, I don't need to 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 feel that I have to escape from it. Like, okay, I'm winning. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. That's great. Um, but it's also the second half of that is to own my own income, so that way, you know, the paycheck that I'm getting every month is not dependent on someone else. I'm making the decisions, I have more control over that. So thus, not only saving for retirement in like an IRA and other stuff, but also real estate investing and starting my own business here with adulting with money is that I have, I'm talking about things I'm passionate about, I'm helping people I wanna help, uh, and I'm making money. <laughs> so you know that's that's for me, that's where it is. Now, for my wife, she's much more laid back. She is actually a dolphin and sea lion trainer here in Florida. And it is her dream job, and she's been doing it for a decade. And who knows when she's gonna be done with that. So for her, you know our lives are are well enough that she gets to do that. That's kind of that's her thing for right now. And we actually we're talking about what's next after that, and she has no idea. And I'm like, that's fine. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. But for now, we're comfortable. We're happy. We're doing what we're doing.
0: <laughs> and I think you hit on a good point there. That everybody travels differently at the, on the money train. Everybody has their yeah. different idea. And and I'm sure that's what you coach as well. Like, not everyone will be on the same page of the same book. Right. You can be ten pages ahead. I care about money far more than my wife does. My wife just wants to be able to go to Target. Like that's her financial objective. If she can go to Target and not have to worry about spending too much, I've achieved my life goal. Like that's the the epitome of where she wants to be right (laughs) now. Yeah, Yeah. And like everybody's going to have different goals and it's, it's important when you bring up these conversations that you don't should them, you don't talk down to them and you just have to understand that everybody's going to have their own journey to the same place. Or maybe even if it's a different place, it doesn't really matter, but understand and respect And I remember the very first time I came home with Dave Ramsey, I was so excited. And all my wife got was annoyed. (laughs) I thought I found like this person that just saved my life. And to her, it was like, okay, you're driving me nuts. Can we move on? And like, you're going to have, you're going to find that energy mismatch. And I'm sure that's something with adulting with money works on quite heavily because people are going to have. I've heard it also said like the everybody has their own language of money as well, like how they grew up with it, how their parents modeled that behavior. You're not going to change that overnight. And just because you're her husband or your spouse doesn't mean they're automatically going to accept whatever new truth you bring in there because they've had a view of the world com- com- commented that way, but for the entire time that they've been alive sometimes.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and that kind of goes a little bit back to the whole idea of budgeting is to say, if you talk with your partner, you talk with your spouse and figure out what it is that they want then when you get to the topic of getting out of debt or to budget, the conversation is here's a tool that will help us get what we want, as opposed to this guy said we need to budget, so we're going to budget. Like, yeah, that's that doesn't that does not work out well for anyone. We like we like being independent adults, even though we choose to get married and have kids. We, you know, we we still want to make our own decisions and have that freedom. And so, it's better to sell the idea of being financially independent or just financially uh, responsible. Uh, as a path to what it is that they already want. A perfect example, I was talking with a woman two weeks ago, and I just emailed her this morning. I haven't heard the end of this story, but she has been having a really hard time getting her husband to sit down with her and talk about money. And I said, well, what are your priorities? And she goes, well, I want this and this and this. And I said, okay, what does your husband want? And she goes, I don't know. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, there, there's your problem right there, uh, you know. And she's annoyed that he spends money on lottery tickets and and things of that nature. Um, you know, he thinks that the lottery is going to be his retirement plan, essentially. And so I said, well, you know, if, until you sit down and talk with him about what it is that he actually wants, or maybe what he's afraid of, what he, what is he concerned about, what is, what are his fears, until we develop that and figure out what that is, then all of these tools of sitting down like, here's our budget. Here's what we're doing. We're going to do this. We're going to do that until you can connect those dots to say like, here's how this is going to help us secure our retirement. Or here's how this is going to help us avoid going back to the poorhouse or something of that nature, then it's going to start to fall on deaf ears. They're going to get defensive. So that's where, you know, my coaching comes in is to say, all right, let's let let me be that third party, that middle ground, that mediator to help bring this out and find win-win solutions for
0: you as a couple. I like that. And what you're talking to there is like just different people's perspectives. You're talking to that. Everybody, like we talked about, everybody's going to have their own view and just being graceful with that experience versus judgmental and understanding like almost like the way to break approach. It could be understand how they got there instead of like trying to get them where you want them to go just like, put extreme curiosity hat on and be like, how did you get to the point where you think that your life revolves around winning the lottery? Like that's, a lot of different life scenarios that have to happen in alignment for someone to honest. And there's a lot of people out there that buy a lottery ticket every week thinking this is my ticket to where I need to go versus maybe owning their budget and doing different, better things with their money. I'm just going to outsource it and hopefully I win the lottery, which is right. not good financial advice. I'm not condoning no. <laughs> it, buying a lottery ticket every week. There's something else that I want to pivot towards when it comes to debt. So as we wrap up the interview, debt is something that gets so mixed up in society. There's credit card debt. There's people that tell you you should do points. There's people that are doing travel rewards. And I want to kind of talk about some of the lessons that, one lesson quick that I've learned and then see what other things you have to go with it. That because I did this four-year journey of getting out of debt, I couldn't have imagined what was going to happen in 2020, whether it be Corona, whether it be losing my job losing anything, losing half my income. I was the primary breadwinner for our family. Had I not gone on that journey to eliminate our car payments, to eliminate the credit cards, to essentially just have a mortgage-only debt ratio, I would have been a whole lot more screwed now. And most people that come up with me or come up to me and start talking about debt, they'll talk about it in a way like, oh, debt can work for you and all these different things. It certainly can. And there's certainly good things you can do with it. And it certainly allows you like there's people that say to him, you can borrow debt less than inflation. It's a good debt. But to me, like every time you borrow money, you're just lowering the amount of options you have to react to whatever life gives you. And that mindset isn't something a lot of people are even thinking about just because I've experienced it personally now that I've survived 2020. With hardly any skin lost, we still have our house under a roof, so we don't have anything. Nothing's been revoked and nothing's been repossessed, all because I eliminated my debt and gave myself ten times more options, and we could live on a whole lot less. So yeah. go ahead, maybe talk about a little bit about that and from your perspective. Sure,
1: yeah, and this is tough as well. I mean, it's a uh, there's certainly a conversation you could have about good debt or bad debt. Um, And you know our friend Rachel Richards, she uh, she talks about it as bad debt versus uh, you know debt you can kind of live with, (laughs) and and it's just like it's there is no such thing as good debt because it's as you said it's it's handcuffs. It's now this liability. It's this uh, payment that you've got to make every month, and because money is going towards that payment, it can't go towards anything else. Like you know that's that's how money is fungible. It can go anywhere, but once it's gone. It's gone it, it goes to one thing or another and so I think a perfect example is my wife and I just decided to get solar panels for our roof uh, and so it, the thing is is that the whole array everything is like 27 grand um, now it could if we had the cash we could pay for it and be done and then you know it's making electricity for us and depending on how the month works out we might get paid by the electric company for the electricity that we're using. Um, But they also have the option where where you can do a 20-year loan. And I think with our credit scores, we got like uh, a 2% loan. And it comes out to be like $114 a month to go towards this payment. But if we're generating the electricity we're supposed to, our average electric bill through the year is less than $114 a month. And so the thing is, is that if we're paying that, but making electricity and the electric company is paying us back, we might be making money, A. But then B is that, you know, as the electric company raises their prices every year, our payment for electricity stays the same. So it levels it out much like a mortgage where here you have this very expensive thing. And rather than that price going up and up and up year after year after year, uh, if you were renting, the mortgage kind of, you get this asset that uh, it it levels the payments over time. So we don't like debt. We don't want debt. And so we were very, very cautious about, do we want to do this or not? We had a much longer conversation about the solar panels than anything else that we ever had. But we were just looking at the math to say, you know, on average, we're probably going to be fine. Uh, and it's that that $114 a month, while it is debt, that is an affordable risk that we can take. So I think the key to take away from this is that if you and your partner are going to talk about taking on debt, um, you have to be very careful. It's because the good news is it helps you afford what you want now. But the bad news is you're handcuffed for years on something and like you said, Ben, you know, here we, you know, four years ago, no one was predicting a pandemic. And so having those handcuffs on you, you have to be very careful to say, is this something we're, we're willing to risk? And in fact, we're probably not going to take 20 years to pay this off. We're probably going to pay it off in five. Like we're going to say, that. you're going to snowball yeah. that fairly oh, easy. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like our mortgage is going to be done in like six years. And so once that's done, the solar panels could be done in one another viral YouTube
0: video could cover it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one viral video with with ad revenue, we could pay it off. So it's 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 top of mind to say we don't want that debt and we're going to pay it off as fast as we can, but if we have to go down to the minimum and just pay that for for a few years, so be it. Um but then, you know, if we sell the house, then all the payments go to the next owner, so we won't have to worry about it anymore.
0: <laughs> I like that. And there's something else that I learned throughout the entire journey through those 4 years The idea of how to get out of debt or where you need to go doesn't always have to come from the same place. So our journey actually ended when we sold our house. And it's actually funny how this all worked out. And it was one where I had to really eat crow and and admit to my wife she was right. Because I grew up in a farm. I lived in the same house my entire life. So this was the house that first house I bought. This was the house that I raised our kids in. And emotionally, I was like, I'm just really hard time letting go. And I was getting out of debt. So I'm like, God, we're not out of debt yet. I, why would we sell our house? We have an eleven hundred dollar car pay or mortgage payment. Why would I ask for a bigger payment? It just doesn't seem right to me. And I just kind of ate crow, trusted the process, and we kept looking and looking and looking. And when it all shook down, we closed on our house. Well, within that six-month time when we sold our house, the house was worth like 160 for 10 years that I owned it. In the last six months, the market and where we live just went crazy. It went from 160 to 240. So the thing that stressed me out the most, the thing that I was afraid to let go of the most, the thing that I thought was going to keep me in debt the most by changing houses ended up being the nuke that destroyed all my debt. So I took that $90,000 check that I walked away from the closing with We killed all of our debt. And instead of putting it on my house, because I at least thought of a mortgage as good debt and it's least secured debt, I could sell the house and get every dollar back. I wanted to get rid of that debt that was just hanging around there. The student loans got killed. The Everything got killed. Any of the loans we had from trying to move or different things, the car payments, and we were at zero. And it felt amazing. But that solution came from the exact opposite place that I thought. And it's often when you get into the emotions of money, you can easily get blinders on because you get so focused on your goals and objectives that you don't realize that. Also, a hidden value in real estate is I think, I'm not sure if the state by state or if it's national, but here in Wisconsin, any sale less than a half a million dollars is non taxable. So I didn't pay a dime of tax on that 90,000. So I never knew that. Like, what an amazing, no wonder people use real estate and flip houses so much because if, as long as you can stay under the radar, you don't have to. Report that as long as it's your single home. And there's a few caveats I'm sure that I'm missing legally there. But like that, (laughs) we 90k lawyers. (laughs) (laughs) That 90K was something I was not expecting. And that put the icing on the whole thing and allowed it all to happen. But I had to let go. And by letting go, we had a bigger house. We have a nicer house. And I was able to land on my feet when I did lose my job.
1: Yeah, well, and I think one big important part of that story as well is because you and your wife were on the same page and you had this goal of getting out of debt, it's kind of like you were walking up a hill and then all of a sudden a chairlift appeared. Like you just like, oh, hop on, (laughs) let's go. And and but because you both were walking in the same direction, you were both walking up the same hill and you knew what you wanted, it's a lot easier to jump. On those opportunities when they come around, and so you know that's where uh, with my wife and I, you know, we're thinking about real estate investing as well. Um, and so again, you know, being the money nerd, I'm probably going to be doing ninety, if not a hundred percent of the work, but we're going to have the conversations because I want her in on these decisions so she knows what's going on. So that way, when something happens, and I'm like, "Hey, honey, we need ten grand. Um, where are we going to get it from?" she understands what's going on and it it doesn't cause a fight. It causes a conversation that we need to have. Um, So again, uh, yeah, those opportunities... They will appear like it's not just, just because you're on this journey doesn't mean it has to be hard. You can get started and then you know you get a pay raise, you get a bonus, you get you switch careers, something can come along. The government gives you money for COVID, yeah, exactly. Um, or you know, depending on how tax breaks work, uh, de- depending on the tax year, you know, it's it's you know, but once that windfall comes, it doesn't get wasted because you already know what your priorities and your goals are which of course is that habit number one and then when those things come along you're like awesome it just it, it makes your life better uh every time
0: <laughs> and it f- felt good reassuring my wife after i did lose, lose my job because the uncertainty was there for her like we all we have is the mortgage and a few insurance payments like everything else we could live without so we could really go down to beans and rice and still only have to worry about our mortgage and she had kind of because she's always had a car payment. She didn't ever get used to the idea. We wouldn't have a car payment. So I had to remind her a couple of times, like we own both the cars. Like I don't have to pay anything on them. We just pay maintenance and should be joking one time. Like let's get a new car. And I'm like, I'll ride this car another 50,000 miles. Cause yeah. it's paid for. <laughs> and I'm yeah. not going to convert a paid for car into a car payment just because it's getting a little bit old. Like I still got lots of money. I haven't even invested a lot into it yet. So like we're at a, a perfect space and that felt really good to reassure her and create that comfort. But there was a lot of uncomfortable conversations prior to that. But just making sure you're having them is something that's probably the most important principle that we're talking about here. Before hitting record, you said some of your favorite advice to repeat was consistency beats perfection. There is no perfection in life. And there is the same thing with money. There isn't a perfect method. There is just consistently chipping away. And no matter whether you yelled at your kid today and you forgive yourself and try better tomorrow, the same thing applies to money. You F up today, you try better tomorrow.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, rather than spending all the time and energy trying to stay on the wagon or not fall off the wagon, put all your time and energy getting back up on the wagon when you fall off because it's going to happen. So save your energy to climb back on as opposed to hanging on and to never falling off. Like, eh, we're all human. It's going to happen. You're fine. You'll be all right.
0: Yeah. I always like Zig Ziglar's advice that failure is an event, not a person. Yesterday really did end yesterday and today's a brand new day. Yes. Yes. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So as we wrap up this interview, where can people check out your YouTube and where can people learn more about what Dan Hines is up to?
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, the biggest thing, yeah, is my YouTube channel. Uh, Go to youtube.com. Just look for Adulting With Money or search for Dan Hines. I come up first either way. Um, But then also go to my website, adultingwithmoney.com, because I have a free handout. Uh, It's a 20-page guide of couples crushing debt. And it's the six-step formula that I put all my couples through. It talks about apps. It talks about how to have conversations. The you know We talked about the debt snowball and debt avalanche. That's in there as well. So that's for free if people want to go and download that. Um, and yeah, those are two great places that if you want to send me a question or you got a comment or you want to have one of those free
0: discovery sessions, let me know. I'll, I'm happy to help. And if you want to give him a comment on his YouTube videos, I know personally Dan comments within like, two hours of every YouTube comment. So go yeah, ahead and not, watch I'm his YouTube, so, YouTube yeah. <laughs> and give him a good comment.
1: I've got time. I read all the comments. And you know, the best videos that I make come from questions that people ask me. Because I'm like, hey, I'm going to give you what you want. Give the people what they want. So if you have a question, something that's on your mind, and I haven't made a video about it yet, or it's been a long time since I've made a video, um, leave a comment uh, as a question. And I'd love to, to help out that way as well.
0: I appreciate your time today, Dan, because this conversation, we opened up a lot of good stuff. And yeah, I know this conversation is, every time you usually do a money episode on different other podcasts, I always hear like people say like how fast it climbs the charts because money is something people are so eager for information on, but they're often afraid to admit that they need help. Yep. Yep. Well, thank
1: you, Ben. Um, man, I had a blast That This time went by quick. So uh, hopefully everyone listening had a, had a great time as well.
0: <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. I appreciate all the time that you spent listening and supporting this show. I know there are thousands of options, even in the military podcasting community. There are new military podcasts every day. I know you have a choice, and I appreciate you for checking out this week's episode with Dan Hines. I really enjoyed the conversation about budgeting. I want to say that that was my big takeaway And one of the big things that we went into, I I loved how we talked about Winab and all the different services. I hadn't learned about Zeta yet. And if you want to go ahead and check out all the different links for the things we talked about in this podcast, NerdWallet, Zeta, Winab, all of those links are down in the show notes. And if you want to connect with Dan, go down there in the bottom as well. All of his socials are posted there. Check him out on Instagram. He's got some amazing stuff. He just did a remake over of his YouTube studio, and you can kind of see what it looks like behind the scenes and before and after Dan is an amazing, heart-centered individual, so I would awesome and recommend to follow him on Twitter, Facebook, all that's down there, even on LinkedIn, got him there. Go check out his website. Get that free guide that he talked about as well. That link is down in the show notes. Also, but guys, if this conversation hits home for you, don't let this be the only spark of hope that you have as it relates to money. Understand that budgeting is a tool. It's not a prison. It's a tool like anything else it's like a resume to get you where you want to go to get hired budgeting is a tool that allows you to get the freedom where you want to be and the location freedom that you want in your life there are so many great money conversations that i'm going to be focusing on and bringing you to the, bringing to the podcast in the future this was just the tip of the iceberg but if this inspired you to go home and talk to your wife don't don't shy away from that have that conversation Because unspoken truths are just as dangerous as spoken truths, especially when it comes to marriage, because all of those unspoken truths build resentment and create a rift. And when you get that rift, you start drifting apart. And when you start drifting apart, money may not be the thing that causes you to get divorced, but it could be the thing that starts and then everything else becomes more difficult in your life. So if this really hit to the core about conversations that maybe you're not having in your life, don't hesitate. Go home. Send, your, send a text message to your wife and say, hey, I'd like to talk about money tonight. I heard this great podcast on the Military Veteran Dad, and he inspired me to have a conversation with you to really talk about our goals and where we want to go in life. As men, it is up to us to lead our family to that destination where we want them to go, where to have that mutual understanding where we want to be and actually help provide the father and masculine leadership in the family to get there as well. So guys, I'm signing off. I will talk to you guys again on Friday. I hope you have an amazing week and crush it and do some epic stuff with your kids.